two things as we jump into the word. Um, I want to remind everybody that we are back this year in the summer with our schedule to do mission trips. And um, Bill Sandman will be leading the informational meeting right after the, church, the service in the lobby for those who are interested in going to Guatemala and work with our partners there at Medical Missions Ministry. I know most of you know Dr. Herman and the great ministry that they're doing. If you're new and um, you have, there's no commitment today, it's just an informational meeting because doing missions in a pandemic world, um, there's different questions and um, logistics that it will require, but we hope to fill up an airplane with people going down this summer to Guatemala. And Bill, are you here? Bill, would you stand? Bill Sandman will be leading that trip. He's on the board with Medical Missions and is a great brother, and he's led, I don't even know how many trips. It's a bunch. And so, Bill, thank you for your leadership. And then secondly, I want to say um, a special thank you to um, Tammy Moore. Is Tammy in or is she out working? She's where? She's in the kitchen where she typically is. Could somebody go get her? And um, I'd also like to express not only thanks to her for the last few weeks um, for our family, but all of those who've served um, yesterday and then two weeks ago, two weeks ago at my mother's funeral. Um, I, all of you who served on the hospitality team, and would you just stand? And Tammy, we are thank you for coming in. We hope the biscuits. We just want to say thank you to you and all of those who have served the last couple of Sundays. Um, to all of you, Christine, yesterday afternoon, giving up your Saturday means a lot. And um, our family was touched yesterday as you fixed one of our family's favorite meals that my mother fixed. And when we, when we left the room and we went into the lobby and we smelled my mother's chicken casserole. It was an amazing experience, and it was delicious. She would have been proud that you put four pounds on me yesterday afternoon <laughs> with her chocolate eclair cake. So thank you to all of you. And if you have tried to get in touch with me in the last few weeks and you've sent a text, I just checked as of right now, there's 467 unanswered text messages. And um, so... Don't take it personally. Everybody's offended and mad at me, so just get over it. I'll get back to you, if not in this life, in the next one. Um, let's jump right into God's Word. And I want to talk for a few minutes about being the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. I want to talk about salt of the earth people, as we culturally know here in the South and here in the U.S., there are people that have that unique quality, being called a salt-of-the-earth person. In Matthew chapter 5, you know it's one of the most well-known verses of Scripture in all the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. This is the first chapter, the intro to Jesus' 
well-known sermon that launched his ministry, the Sermon on the Mount, the three chapters of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This was his, I'm going public with this thing. And he starts with, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, it includes several really critical teachings on how to live like a Christian, how to live in this new kingdom that Jesus was ushering in. He starts by talking about attitude. And there's a lot of believers today that need to hear what Jesus taught on the Christian attitude. He called them, we call them the be attitudes. There's attitudes that we should be. It's a verb. Jesus taught about many other things. He talked about the role of the law in our lives in the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about relationships with others, how to get along with other people. He talked about divorce and remarriage, how to deal with people who hurt you. He talked to us about how to deal with people who offend you or sin against you. He talks about how to deal with and manage your money, how to pray, how to fast, and that there's a specific way to do that. Don't do it like your custom has taught you to pray publicly and use flowery phrases like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And when you fast, don't tell everybody you're fasting because them going, wow, aren't you special? That will be your reward, he teaches. And he goes on and on with other things. He talks about how to deal with worry. In Matthew chapter 7, he talks about judging others. And there's a, that teaching is often misunderstood. But he wasn't saying don't judge. He was saying don't be a hypocrite. Don't get the speck out of someone else's eye when there's a log in yours. What Jesus actually teaches is that if you're not a hypocrite, we should hold each other accountable, and there is rightful judging. And he says, once you get the log out of your eye, then go help your neighbor get the speck out of theirs. And so that's the teaching, and there's, that's a mouthful. That's a life full of Christian living and Christian. So let's, for, let's look at a couple things just to lay a groundwork. Number one, let's talk about the power of salt. Salt is made up of two chemicals or components, sodium chloride. It's 40% sodium, 60% chloride. Salt is very useful. It's over 14,000 uses. It makes up 28% of the human body weight. And in the first century, Salt was a very valuable commodity. It was, it was almost like cash. And salt is the result of two chemicals coming together. It's a chemical reaction, actually. There's a spiritual reaction that we, we have when sinners come in contact with divine grace. And there's a, there's a lot of parallels that I don't have time to draw out, but when Jesus makes this statement, you are the salt of the earth, it's more than Morton salt and, and fresh ground black pepper. Salt was so much more then than we understand it now. It's powerful. Salt is essential to your life. Even now, if your body is deprived of salt, your body will become dehydrated. Some of our, Candace, her parents are aging. Mine have just passed. But there were times when their sodium balance is off, their brains don't work right. 
they actually are really off when their sodium levels are off. And But for us who are younger, if your body, if our bodies are deprived, become dehydrated, your blood pressure drops, and you can go into a coma and die. And salt does amazing things to keep us hydrated and to keep water into our system. But the, the primary uses of salt have to do with two things. First, salt is a seasoning. It's used with cooking, as you well know. Salt, salt levels are critical. Candace was raised in a house that didn't use much salt, if any at all. And I was raised in a house that used a lot of salt. So you can imagine, I've spent the last 28 years of my life asking, where is the salt? And she's like, instead of ruining it, you can simply add more to yours. But have you ever had a, been into a, something and it's like way too much salt? There's a balance. Salt has an amazing way of, listen, seasoning things, bringing out the flavors. But to your taste and your palate, you've got to have a good balance of how much salt is in there. But that's a very powerful concept for us to consider in light of what Jesus is teaching. teaching. Because we as believers are to season. We are to recognize good things in other people. We're, we are to bring out the best in others. The second thing is salt is used as a preservative. Salt, in, in the first century, kept things from spoiling and missing their purpose or ruining them. Not only does the preservative keep freshness in certain foods, the preservative component of salt will keep unwanted growth as well. If you put salt in the soil, no plant will grow. But if you put meat in the salt, no bacteria will grow. And so we see there's an important component of seasoning and being a preservative. The second thing I want us to look at is the personal application of being salt. Jesus said, we are the salt of the earth. He is saying, he literally said, you are the salt of the earth. Everybody say you. He said, you are the salt of the earth. He does not say the Republicans are the salt of the earth. Nor does he say the Democrats. He didn't say that your fraternity, that you still have the license plate on the front of your car and you're 63 years old, <laughs> is going to be the of the earth. He didn't say that your HOA, he didn't say the FBI or the Department of Justice. He didn't say the CIA was. He said the people in this room will be the salt of the earth. They will season and preserve corruption in the earth. The second thing I want you to notice about the personal application is he says, we are to flavor the earth. He doesn't say, you're the salt of the church. How many of you know some people are, are salty? Some people are gifted with saltiness. Some people are gifted, especially being salty in the church. 
And that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, you are the salt of the, of the earth. Recently, Candace and I have talked about, we're now back in a groove in our ministry and calling where we're seldom around lost people, or I should say, not yet believers. And I don't like that. Maybe, some pastors may feel comfortable with that. I like rubbing shoulders up close. Jesus says, you're the light of the world, which is a, a broadcasting, there's a there's an impact with people that are far away, that you drive out darkness. But here he's talking about salt, and that is a, we must come in contact with others. And we're to be the salt of the earth. A few years ago, in fact, just this past Wednesday night in Vertical Church, we talked red apples and green apples. Green apples are those people that they're not ready yet. They're not ready to come to Christ, but those red apples are those who are ready they're eager, they're, they don't know it, but they're waiting for someone to invite them to church or to be sought around them. A couple years ago when I preached that idea, at that time there were seven or eight people in our church. There's more now that you and I met, not when you came to this church, but on a baseball field or on a football field. And, and one of you, you've been changing my tires on my car for the last 20 years. And you're here in this church. And my, my deal is, are we all, you know, and we've moved now from South Forsyth over here and the church is growing and there's different demands and we're not around as many not yet believers. And we've got to fix that. i got to find a new dry cleaners. The old guy got saved and now I need a new one, you know. I'm serious about this. This isn't my profession. This is my life, and my, I love, you know, y'all, you've heard me. If you lived out on Jeff Wheeler Road, you would go, who is the old gray-headed guy running up and down Jeff Wheeler? When people find out, they're going to go, that's why he was so friendly, waving at everybody, because it, it's only two and a half miles where the road is, long where we live, and sometimes, because word spreads when you're the pastor, even if you don't want it to, and people are going to find out. That is the friendliest, and somebody might go, we need to check out his church, especially in a pandemic. It's the only one open close by. We're going to go. <laughs> He's friendly. He cares. He runs. He takes care of it. Listen, do, oh, I'm about to jump ahead of the end of the sermon. I'm not going to. <laughs> we are to flavor the earth. Number three, the problem of salt losing its saltiness. If those, this is real simple and profound. You don't need this in the Greek. If the salt loses its flavor, how then will the world be salted? It won't. Under room, uh, number three, letter A, it will be good for nothing. Letter B, so throw it out and let it be trampled on. And the world has done just this. And this is the season the Christian church finds themselves in. We have been good for nothing. We are not seasoning or preserving anything. And some of it has to do with our rotten attitudes. And it's time that we revisit 
the simple yet profound calling of what it is to be a Christian in a fallen planet. Now, you all have heard me say this before, and I've, I've always said I love a good wedding and a good funeral. Both of those, they're sacraments, and they have a, a way of recalibrating you. Um, not everybody will follow me, but I'm going to share it just for those who will. When you're a pastor, there's certain times in ministry that everybody's stiff and religious. Holidays tend the hardest sermon to preach should be the easiest one. When is it? Easter. You got a whole lot of people here who are looking at their watch, don't have open hearts. They're Christers. They come on Christmas and Easter, and they're going to miss the crapture, you know, because they only come twice. Uh, but, but they're here. They know what the sermon's going to be about. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And it's honestly, it's so hard to break through that and to have a meaningful time. So much so that a lot of pastors will say, just put something out there and let them go home. And it's hard. Think about that. That's Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to get shallow and religious? Uh, other times, Christmas is hard. And weddings. I, we, if you've ever seen me do a wedding, weddings are a big deal to me. A um, couple examples. Well, I was really young in my ministry, and I got a call to do the wedding for Kenny Rogers, the gambler. And he had been married six times. He didn't know when to hold them and when to fold them, you know? <laughs> I've never said that. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> he should have held them. <laughs> so, I've never said that. Help me, honey. But... And, and I had a dilemma, and I, I said, I mean, I prayed about it. I said, look, my friends are going to learn I did this, and they're going to go, what? And I, I said, Kenny, you've been married six times. Seven is God's number. <laughs> but I don't think he meant it for, you know, three strikes are out, six strikes. Okay, finally, we found God's. No, that's, you know, that teaching doesn't work here. And I said, look, I'll do it, but we have to have some agreement. And we worked through it. And, and I did the wedding. And you know what? He died last year married to that. He was married to her longer than all the others combined. You know? um, a couple weeks ago, on my mother, the weekend my mother, we did her funeral here. The next day I had a wedding. And I didn't mail it in. It was, it's a, this is till death do you part. I just did the funeral for my mother 24 hours ago. And she served my dad and carried him around and carried him to the bathroom and did all the stuff. Yet, this is a big deal. And Jesus, his first miracle was at a wedding. And he took that which is common and made it supernatural. The water, that's what we need him to do. Take us, a common boy and a girl, and do something supernatural. And then his spirit, which is the symbol of wine. You know, and it's a and when we do pre-marriage counseling, I don't I don't ever do just ad hoc shotgun Gatlinburg weddings. And nobody should. 
funerals. I've done funerals of people I know well, and I've done funerals of people I didn't know, but I did my homework and dug in and spent time with the family so that when I stood up, I had a knowledge of who they were, and I wasn't lying about what I was saying. Because I think that's important. I'm, 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 I'm drilling down, and I know this is practical, and you may not care about this, but have you ever been to a funeral where everybody knows they did not know Jesus? And the spiritual leader stood up and acted and even said things that led people to believe they're okay. You understand what I'm saying? That's critical. And um, I've said funerals recalibrate the heart. I've even, I, but I didn't know in two weeks I preached both my parents' funerals. But it had an incredible way of just, oh, the soul-searching, the recalibrating. And I've come to face some profound truth about who I am and why I am who I am. And the people that reached out to us from Virginia reached out and expressed care. And in this church... A lady that met my mother in 1954. My mother played the piano in their church when my dad walked in. And that's where my mom and dad met. And she reached out to me. Friends from church camp that I haven't seen in 35 plus years reaching out. Childhood friends that I went to elementary school with. And who they are and what they said have what they've recently said to encourage us during this time, it's impacted me more profoundly than I can even share. Being with my sisters the last few weeks and preaching both of my parents' funerals in two weeks, that'll impact you. We went to Virginia tomorrow, be two weeks ago, not knowing, with my dad, not knowing six days later he would pass. And on our way back, all of us... <laughs> We stopped in Mayberry, North Carolina, and I ate at Barney's Cafe. And that, that has a way of grounding you, too, to realize what TV we grew up on and what smartphones are doing to our children. And, I, I, again, how many, anybody grow up in Virginia or, or you're from Virginia or you've driven through Virginia and you realize it's God's <laughs> place? Virginia's changed, and it breaks the heart of most Virginians. The demographics in the, around D.C. and the population explosion, and it went from being a salt-of-the-earth southern state south of the Mason-Dixon, and it really is a mess because it's so divided. But growing up in small-town Virginia and having people reach out and, and just to reconnect with who they are, to go and lay my mother's body to rest in Galax, Virginia on a cold, windy, rainy Monday and to pull up and to see who's there. You just go, God, some salt of the earth people have raised me and impacted me. I have a friend that actually lives in Milton. He's a He's a black friend of mine, highly successful executive with Comcast. He's in our basketball group, and even in our 50s, we compete. And 
You can't believe how childish a 50-year-old can get when you call a foul on them or they call one on you. And you argue, and it happens. And Dino is my friend's name. He's actually been here a couple times with his family. And um, we've been playing, I don't know, a few months. And I just noticed, Dino, for one, you like almost never call a foul. And every time someone calls one on you, you don't have any problem with it. I, I literally had this conversation. I said, Dino, where are you from? Because some of my friends, nothing personal, but a lot in our group grew up in Jersey, grew up in Brooklyn, <laughs> from Cleveland, you know what I mean? And it, we could be a reality TV show. And I said to Dino, How, where'd you grow up? And he said, a little small town outside of St. Louis. And I said, that's it. You grew up in the Midwest. And he, he, he went on to tell me, yep. And he explained the people who have impacted his life. Just, just track with me, people. Like Midwestern pe people from Indiana, Missouri. Um, Candace, I was in Tulsa many years ago. I landed in the airport. And before I got to my rental car, I called her. I was like, honey, we have got to move to Tulsa. <laughs> I said that literally. I said, these are the sweetest, kindest people we're in the airport. I left Hartsfield and landed in Tulsa. It was like heaven. <laughs> I, it, it, it was just noticeably different growing up in small town Virginia and, and now dealing with some of the cultural mores that are being shifted and our heritage is under attack. And some of the things that made this nation great, like Listen to me, being patriotic is not a Democrat or Republican issue, and I don't want you to hand clap. Being, appreciating history and soldiers and veterans is not a political thing. Has our country been perfect? No, a long way from, have we done hideous things? Yes, and 99.9% .9 of the people in the U.S. are ashamed of those things and are glad that most of them have been changed or are being changed. But it doesn't mean everything and everyone in our past should be obliterated. It shouldn't be. Now you can clap if you want, because I need to get a breath. I say all that to say, you know, what, what is a salt of the earth person F for us culturally? Not necessarily what Jesus was referring to, but yeah. What does that Matthew 5, 13 person look like today in North Atlanta? What's it look like? Well, we know from Matthew 5, it would be, listen to me, it would be the kind of person who would heed the teachings of Jesus. They would be a sincere Christ follower or a Christian. You know, we have this cultural term too, and as I just said, the woke culture. I did a search on salt of the earth. My first Google address took me to a place, a Twitter post where someone had said, Let's list all the terms, help me list all the terms that are covert terms for whiteness. And one of them was salt of the earth. 
And you could guess what the others, patriot, conservative, Christian. And please don't, I'm not making racial remarks right here. Being the salt of the earth is not about race or skin color or socioeconomic group. The woke culture needs to get woke from the word of God because the woke culture is a spirit of murder trying to kill the things that give us life. Now, I find it sad that I have to even qualify. I'm not talking about whiteness. The example I used and the first one that came to mind, and I didn't do it because I'm an uh, equal opportunity employer up here. I did it because the first person that I thought of that has been a salt of the earth person in my life that I noticed it was a black adult male who was raised right. It's not a race issue. But what defines a salt of the earth person? I want you to, we're gonna, I'm gonna list a few things and then we're gonna pull some lessons together. I think the first thing about a salt of the earth person is what marks them is humility. They're not impressed with themselves. And, but they're not insecure. What is real humility? Please look at me, brothers and sisters. Humility is not weakness or insecurity. Humility is not weakness or insecurity. Let me just stop right there. Listen to me. Humility is honesty. It's being honest about who you are and who you are not. A truly humble person is comfortable in their own skin. Anybody know what? Now, there's a weakness. People who've been battered and wounded, and that, that's, that's not humility. That's brokenness. But true humility comes from honesty. Where do I get honesty? Honesty is related to truth. Truth is a person. The closer I get to Jesus, the more honest I am about who I am and who I'm not. And then I can, and I never get close to him and go, hey, as James McDonald said, you're lucky to have me on your team. I'm too cool for this jacket I got on my shoulders. You don't say that. The closer you get to Jesus, sincerely, you realize how small you are and yet how great you are because he loves you enough to give his life for you. That's humility. The second thing is modesty. That's a, a salt-of-the-earth person, they just have a modesty about them. They don't have a need to impress others. Please listen. They, they're, they're not prone to draw attention to themselves. They want the attention on others. And they're not, here's a great word, they're not pretentious. Now I want to say something to teens I mean, let me just say, next-gen people. Everything in this world is leading you to be shallow and pretentious. Your whole social media presence may not be who you are. And you may think, the more skin I reveal, the more provocative I am, the more significance I will have. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. And listen, all of us 50-year-old seventh graders, we need to understand the same thing. Showing, let me just say it like I feel it. Showing 
half of your body, first you need to know, you're 55. It doesn't look like it did when you were 18. <laughs> and men, that muscle car when you were 17, you needed it. If you're 55 and you, you have to leave the restaurant and get in a car that you still need, you need something way more than a car. I'm, I, the Lord years ago when I travel said, get the economy car. Because I know how pastors do when we arrive at conferences. We play the same stupid junior high games. And it's like, well, you gotta have some presents. Really? How about we give him presents? And I said, you know, I'm not gonna get the convertible when I'm in California or Florida. I'm not going to rent the Cadillac Escalade. There's nothing wrong with that stuff. I'm just saying for me, I said, and the Holy Spirit put it, I'm gonna be counter-cultural to this whole pastoral, because we all go, hey, how big's your church? Hey, where'd you go on vacation with your family? You know, who's in your church? What VIPs? Just enough with it, that's pretension. And we'll define that in a second. But modesty, in Mark Rutland's book, he wrote in like 1989, the book was called Hanging by a Thread, 10 Virtues That America is Losing That's Causing Us to Lose America. And the first one was modesty. Um, I thank God for my mother, who was the most modest person I've ever known. She was not insecure. I thank God for my wife and my daughters who never fell into that as teens that they have to show something to get attention because they realize they're gonna get attention from someone that's gonna give them the wrong kind of attention. You know, if, if we gave our children more Jesus, they would have less need for all the other stuff out there. And I just wanna say something to every high school, college age, young man and woman. You don't need all that stuff. You are special. He knew you before he formed you. He has a destiny on your life. You are a king's kid. You're special. And, and you don't need any of those shiny distractions because you are on your way to the palace in the name of Jesus. I hope somebody will receive what I'm saying this morning. Thirdly, salt of the earth people are sincere. Their yes is yes and their no is no. They're not fake. We've seen so much fakeness in our world that when we see the real, people are now running to it. People are craving the real, the authentic right now. Even if it's not great, they want, we all want real. Sincerity is endearing. Salt of the earth people are sincere. Next, they're reliable. You can trust their handshake. They'll sign a contract if you want them to, but you really don't need it because their word is their bond. You can take it to the bank. Anybody grow up in one of those towns where a bunch of people, they, their yes was you could take it to the bank? Lastly, they're simple. They don't have to go on 10-day cruises in the Mediterranean to be content or happy. 
They don't need the newest whatever to feel important. They don't have to have the corner office or the title sit at the head of the table. They know who they are. They're simple people. Now, that's it for the list. And you may be going, Pastor Chuck, do you realize what you're asking us to do? This would strip me of all of my street cred, (laughs) my mojo, my rep if I do these things. I realize that. You know another thing salt does? It melts ice. And you come in here after five or six days on Georgia 400, 575, I-285, with all the shiny things distracting you, and you come in here with an indifferent heart, and you need the word of God through the person of Jesus to pierce and break up that stony, icy, cold heart so that you can see life, the abundant life, and know what you need to be chasing. So, I was born in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is where the Eastern Mennonite University is. You may not know what Mennonites are. Mennonites are akin to the Amish or Quakers. The older I get, the longer I live here, and the more of these I raise, I'm thinking the Amish life. I think they got it figured out. (laughs) Have you ever been, what's that, what's that town? Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You pull it, you're at Wendy's and they have a place for you to tie your horse. You're like, that's a, that's a liberal Amish that would eat a hamburger cooked on an electric grill. But I'm not going to judge you, you know. And you may go, can you imagine cooking, putting your milk in the creek to keep it cold? Can you imagine not having to fill up your horse and buggy with $65 worth of gas? I can. Can you imagine not having to wrestle your smartphone away from your children? No, I can't imagine that. I'd like to. We're breaking up the ice to go, you know what? We, we need to get recalibrated. Let me teach you just a little bit about real living. Do you know the scripture teaches that you can be too smart for God? You can be too high-minded, too educated. I'm not against education. I have a degree. Candace has multiple. You can be too impressed with yourself if you're not careful. And, And salt of the earth people What's the antonym? What's the opposite? A pretentious person. Pretentious means designed to impress or attract notice. Unwanted or exaggerated importance. Ostentatious. That's a great word. I love, you know what it said? Ostentatious is being pretentious. So I had to go down to like the second or third. And to be ostentatious is attracting or seeking to attract attention, admiration, or envy by gaudiness. There are a few things or a few people that God seems to have a grudge against. First, 
Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, listen, he quotes from uh, Proverbs 3.34, I think this is. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. A few verses down, verse 26, he says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Oh, listen, I want to highlight this in Park right here. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, oh, there's so much to unpack here. That is our righteousness. Wait, you just said that. That's foolishness in verse 18 and 19. And now you're saying that's our righteous, that's our holiness, understanding who Jesus, the power of the cross. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God opposes or seems to make it harder for these people, the proud, those who possess the wisdom of the world only, and the wealthy. Too much confidence, worldly smarts, or money, too much money, or a love for money can make it hard to get into the kingdom to understand it. Now, it's a good thing I'm not preaching to anybody that this relates to this morning because we don't live in North Atlanta. Oh, wait, we do. And this is our whole life. Let me just point out, this is where a pastor would say, you know what, the Bible says this about the wealthy, the, the worldly wise. But I want to point you to some scriptures because what Pastor Chuck says doesn't break the ice. The word of God breaks the ice and it won't come back empty. How many of you have an open heart this morning? Oh, we got quiet. We got three people on the first row, two on the second. How many of you have an open heart and know what I'm saying this morning? It's not from me. It's from the Lord. It's his word. Daniel chapter 4 said, and this is Nebuchadnezzar. Are you kidding me? In Babylon? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Oh, that was a good opportunity for somebody to say amen. I'm preaching a lot better than y'all are saying amen this morning. <laughs> Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but he sets the widow's boundary stones in place. Psalm 18. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. Luke 1, Mary, after she says, okay, let it be unto me according to your word. She sings, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. Here's a little 14, 15-year-old virgin going, he chose me. I'm not connected to any 
special person at the synagogue. There's nobody in my, I'm not even married. And my people have been waiting for this Messiah for hundreds of years. And he picked me. Lowly, humble, modest, meek, simple, nobody, me. Yes, he did. And in that, he sends a word to us. Don't get too fancy for God. Don't get too enamored with the shiny things. Lord Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. In fact, all of you clothe yourselves, both old and young. I, I want you to pick up right here. He's saying, you younger ones, you need to submit to these older ones. And, and older ones, in case you, you think you're all that in a bag of chips, all of you should clothe yourselves with this stuff, with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. James 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud, but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Please, please, please. Don't skip over the fact that that's, that's the first beatitude listed. Blessed are the broken, the weak, the poor in spirit who are emotionally spent. They're open to understanding how the kingdom works. I want to start a campaign at Restoration Church, a salt of the earth club, a club that says we get it. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about him. Anybody want to join that club? Anybody want in? Oh, man. Lord Jesus, help me. Um, how, how do you get in if you're like, I'm, I'm struggling with these issues. A lot of this stuff touched me. And listen to me. I'm going to just pour my heart out to you. Many of us are broken. Many of us, none of us have arrived. All of us have a story including this guy and that girl. We all have a story. None of us deserve to be here, but that's how awesome our God is. We're all broken. How do you, how do you, how do you get through this stuff? Let me start by telling you a story. Just, just yesterday, we, we honored my father, who at 18 months old, his father came in from the World War II and unloaded six bullets in my, my grandmother, my dad's, mother when he was 18 months old he gets sent to an orphanage when it wasn't there was no politically correct term for it and he was an orphan and there was a lady named May Stem who went to the orphanage when she was 25 years old and she served there for 35 years and she said my dad was the youngest orphan she ever took into her house, her village her um where she was a house mother May Stem multiple preachers came up out of her little house. And when she was 93 and she passed, my dad had the privilege of 
preaching her funeral. And then my dad, on August 19, 1951, at 15 years old in Norfolk, Virginia, is in church and he gives his life to Christ. And then there's a pastor family in Danville, Virginia, that unofficially adopts my dad. And then my dad marries a godly woman. What, what am I getting at? I, let's, let's back up a second. There's a little salt-of-the-earth lady at 25 years old named Mae Stem who was raised in an ed- educated, wealthy family who said, I'm called to orphans. And she gave her life serving and never got married. And you want, like I said yesterday, and I feel it today. Please don't, please hear me. I, I feel this. I want to go to her family, her parents who raised her, and go, thank you. You will never know. As we sat here and honored my dad's life, my dad was, from a worldly wisdom standpoint, there was, there is no chance that he lives a life of meaning and significance except the grace of God. Except some salt of the earth person is going, I'm gonna season this little boy. I'm gonna preserve a, I'm not, I can't change the whole world, but the ones I come in contact with, I'm gonna preserve them. I'm not gonna go all the way through that, but here's what I'm saying. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Could we just be a salt factory? Could, be a, could we be a place where, let me t- you don't know who is sitting on your row, row right now. You don't know who you walked up the sidewalk with today. And I can tell you, there may not be any little three-year-old orphans walking up, but there are some broken people. And may this place be filled with salt-of-the-earth people who love Jesus, who believe the best is yet to come, who believe America is not going to become Sodom and Gomorrah because there's enough believers like us left that we are praying and believing the best is yet to come. Come on, somebody. I hope you're getting what I'm saying right now. Close with this right here. Musicians, don't move into place just yet. I don't want anybody to be distracted, but here's the deal. Salt of the earth, that's nice, but Pastor Chuck, do you know what's happening in our culture, in our world? I do. This is why I'm talking to you about being salt of the earth. In Genesis chapter 18, angels and the Lord come to Abraham. It's been 25 years, 24 years or whatever, and they go, Abraham, next This time next year when we come, your wife is going to be with child. And y'all know what happened. This is God coming and saying, that plan I gave you two and a half decades ago is about to come to pass. And, And you know, Sarah heard the word of the Lord to her husband. She laughed. And then he said, Abraham, go get her. And she came. And the Lord said, why'd you laugh? And she said, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. And because you just lied about it, you're going to name him Laughter. And, as and that's what Isaac's name means, is Laughter. And the, and the picture yet is when the angels that are, are there ministering the word of the Lord, and the Lord manifests in a physical presence. It gives us the picture as they leave where Abraham is, they look over and glance at Sodom and Gomorrah. And they say this, 
Should we tell Abraham what's going on? And the Lord says, Abraham, I'm getting, we're getting ready to stop over there and to see if the outcry we have heard from the people there is actually true. And if we go down and we discover it is true, we're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham goes, wait. I have family over there. If I find 50 righteous people, will you spare? And God goes, if you find 50, I'll spare. Now, time out. Think about this. God has come to go, your destiny, seed of Abraham, I'm getting ready to fulfill that covenant. And I want you to know what I'm getting ready to do over there. And there's some people who, there's been an outcry, rise up and reach me. Please hear me. Do you, did you catch that? God is saying, there's some people over there who are praying, and I've heard, and I'm going down. And if I find out what they're telling me is going on, it's over. And Abraham, this is us. This is us praying and interceding. And, and Abraham goes, I got a nephew over there. If I find 50, and God goes, if you find 50. And Abraham goes, what if I find 40? (laughs) If you find 40, I'll spare Sodom and Gomorrah. We're, we're, We're going in the right direction. What if I find 30? You know the story. 2010, God says, and chapter 18 closes. says, if you can find 10 righteous people there. I know there's one. Because I heard the cry. I don't know if there's 10, but if you find 10, I'll spare them. You know what happened? Abraham went down there, and he didn't find him. And the city got destroyed. I wonder what's going on in heaven right now as God comes to say, here's my plan. But what I'm hearing, I know we're in the New Testament, but this is a perfect picture for us in 2021. Oh, I, feel, I got a whole 20 minutes coming up in me. And I'm not going to give into it, but hear me. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. And you should be too. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, I'm tired of us sitting back complaining how dark the darkness is. I'm tired of us sitting back talking about all the bacteria that's growing. I'm tired of us talking about what's coming out of D.C. Am I concerned about what is coming out of the house? Yes, but I'm more concerned about what's not coming out of God's house. Because Jesus came and he said, I will build my church. Ecclesia, that picture for those disciples was, oh, Ecclesia, that's the wise, that's the elders that sit at the gate and control the city. The ecclesia, they sign property deeds and marriage certificates. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I'm getting ready to call out a special kind of ecclesia. They will be the new governing body, legislative body in the earth. And when I call them out, I'm going to build my church through them, and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. Y'all out there? Anybody get anything about what I'm saying this morning? How many of you commit to go, 
I'm, I'm getting ready to go Monday through Saturday this week, and I'm going to be salty in the best kind of way. I'm getting Listen to me. Do not come in here and say amen and clap your hands and leave unchanged. We're, listen, God, I, oh, God is getting ready to raise up an army of warriors that are going to fight and contend for this nation. She, America will not be the next Babylon, the next Sodom and Gomorrah. America will be a land of Jesus that they'll be able to find 50 at least. May they find 550 in here this morning. If you're in that number, come on, stand to your feet. Are y'all out there this morning? Anybody love the Lord like you're crazy? Anybody glad to be foolish about the cross? Come on, anybody out there? You have a degree or two, but you, more than anything, know who Jesus is. All right, I had these guys pull out that old Hillsong tune that we started with, and it simply says, it's you I live for every day. Every day, it's you I live for every day. I follow after you every day. All right, hold on just a second. How many of you know it doesn't say every Sunday? <laughs> I'll go to church at Restoration on Rugger Road every day. How many know every day in the Greek means Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? How many of you realize I need to get filled with the Spirit so I can go out there and flavor and season and bring out the best in this earth? Come on, are y'all out there? Let's sing it, come on. It's you and There we go, come on. Every day I follow after you. Every day I walk with you, my Lord. Come on. Every day.
Jesus. Praise your name. Lord, when we go through the line at Publix, may we be the sweetest, kindest, most aroma of Christ filled up person that goes through these aisles at Kroger in the produce department. May the people putting out fresh fruit go, what is that I smell up in here? May they notice, may the people in our cul-de-sacs go, I am so glad the Ramseys live up in here. They are raising the property value in our neighborhood. May the people on Georgia 400 see us going up and down or Holcomb Bridge or whatever crazy road we're stuck in. May they look over and go, I don't know what that person's on, but I need a... May they roll down their window and say, excuse me, what happened to you? It's you I live for. Yeah. Don't stop it. Don't stop. <laughs> hey, I, I'm, I'm not just being cute. We have somebody, Kevin and Luz, came up to me a couple weeks ago and said, our teenagers, Luz, Kevin's wife said, Dad's different. Luz, who, when they first started coming here, were here for six weeks. She said she cried from the beginning of the service till the end. After she owns a salon right here, she said, I decided I'm no longer wearing makeup to church. May people, you know, some of y'all need keep the makeup on because there'll be a whole different kind of move of God that will, people go, ah, Holy Ghost. You know? I'm teasing. Candace is, Candace is going, let him go. Hey, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. Lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Come on, say, I receive it. Go and have a great week, a great day. We love you all.